Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Where to Go. I'm James Atkinson, Senior Brand Manager at DK Eyewitness. And I'm Lucy Richards, Senior Editor at DK Eyewitness. And welcome to Where to Go, where every fortnight we find out more about the world's favourite travel destinations with those people who know those places best. And today we have one of those people who knows the world kind of <laughs> best, really. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a, it's a sort of special episode uh, because we are joined by our friend Shafik. Um, yes. uh, so, Shafik, you may remember, spoke to us about Unforgettable Journeys in season one um, uh, all that time ago. But Shafik is a true veteran of um, of a lot of the publishing that we do at DK Witness. He's a real expert. Our team rely on him for his kind of knowledge around the world. Um, and very excitingly, he's got a new book out. So we need to talk about that, basically. We do. We do. He's also just an all-round lovely chap. So it'll be lovely to be chatting to him about various destinations today. Yeah, yeah I'm really, really excited to find out where he's actually planning to go to because <laughs> knowing Shafiq, I mean, he's kind of been everywhere, I think. He has. And he has been to some, I think he favours some particularly, you know, amazing, wild, epic destinations. So yeah. I think we're in for a real odyssey today. The real, like, the real extremes kind of offered up by the world. So without further ado, yeah, let's, uh, let's go speak to Shafiq. Yes, Shafik is an award-winning journalist, travel writer, author, editor, broadcaster and photographer who has co-authored more than 50 guidebooks for Rough Guides, Lonely Planet, Time Out, many others, including, of course, us at DK Witness. And his new book, Crossed Off the Map, Travels in Bolivia, was published on the 15th of March this year. So huge congratulations to Shafik on the publication of his book and welcome Shafik. Hello. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Lovely to be speaking to you again. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome back. Back, I should say. Yay. Yes. Yeah. We're very excited to talk to you about a range of destinations. So as we normally kick things off, we'll be finding out a little bit more about Shafik and then we'll have three sections, one on each destination he loves, starting off, of course, with the subject of his new book, Bolivia. So Shaf, you've travelled so much as a travel writer. What this is a hard question, but what do you sort of love most about the job, you know, apart from the obvious, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, on, on a very basic level, I find it an incredibly rewarding, uh, challenging, invigorating experience. Um, working as a travel writer constantly throws me into contact with uh, new people, places, ideas and experiences. Um, while indulging my curiosity and uh, restlessness. Mm. It also provides me with, you know, a greater sense of freedom than uh, I think I would have in almost any other career. Um, mm. Though not without its challenges and, uh, and certainly not always as glamorous as, uh, as, as people might think, um, yeah. working as a travel writer is a huge privilege. Yeah. So it's not it's it's not just going on holidays, is it? It's very much kind of strategically thinking about what you're doing, where you're going, how you're writing about it, how you're responding to briefs, et cetera, and working mm. for, you know, it's hard work, basically, isn't it? Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad we finally got some recognition of the, uh, <laughs> of the hard it's work that goes into it's travel writing. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And um, and you're going to talk to, I mean, it must have been quite hard because you've been to many, many, many places and you're going to talk to us about just three of them today. How did you kind of uh, settle upon those three um, without giving too much away about uh, <laughs> about each? Well, I mean, it, it, it was it was a difficult it was a difficult challenge just narrowing it down to um, three de- destinations because, as you say, I've been lucky lucky enough to um, kind of work all around the world as a travel writer. I think it really goes back to my childhood. Um, I've always been mm-hmm. an inveterate reader, and um, childhood books about uh, places like the Amazon, Patagonia, the Himalayas, mm. um, the vast expanse of Antarctica captured my imagination and, and never really let go. Um, with India, one of the countries I'm going to talk about, there was a family connection to. Uh, my paternal mm-hmm. family yeah. originally from Gujarat, uh, but moved to Uganda and then to the UK and beyond. Um, visiting Antarctica was always a dream. Um, I think it probably originated mm-hmm. from watching, you know, countless David Attenborough wildlife documentaries while I was growing up. And Bolivia, um, in many ways, encapsulates everything I love about travel. Um, you know, incredible landscapes, culturally rich and a fascinating history as well. Let's start with Bolivia. So um, I want to know kind of um, when did you first visit Bolivia? I mean, you've traveled pretty extensively across South America. Uh, Was Bolivia the first place you visited? Well, I mean, it it goes back to my very first um, visit to South America um, back in 2004, uh, this was before I was a travel writer. I was a sports reporter in London at the time. Mm. Um, but with my with my girlfriend at the time, um, you know, we decided to, to leave our jobs and go backpacking around India and then around South America for the uh, best part of a year. Uh, and after having cool. Carnival in Rio, uh, we headed over to Peru to hike the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu, you know, classic gringo trail activities. But the overland yeah. journey between the two took us through Bolivia, which I really didn't know much about at the time. Um, but after, you know, exploring from the Andes to the Amazon, I really became fascinated by the place. Scroll forward a few years, um, and I was living across the border in Argentina. And at that time, I became mm-hmm. the co-author of The Rough Guide to Bolivia. And that allowed me to travel around the country in far greater depth than would otherwise have been possible. And it was through these travels uh, that the idea for my new book, Crossed Off the Map, uh, really came to light. Cool. Mm, so tell us a bit more about the book then, Shaf. What sort of, you know, what can readers expect from the book? Yeah, I mean, o- over the last 15 years, I've worked as a travel writer on all seven continents, but I've never visited yeah. anywhere quite like Bolivia. You know, I think like lots of travellers, I was initially drawn in by its dramatic landscape. You know, it's the, it has the world's biggest salt flat, the world's highest city, mm-hmm. the world's most biodiverse national park, uh, to name just a few. It's also uh, remarkably culturally rich. But as I got to know mm-hmm. Bolivia better, I began to learn about its profound, unexpected impacts on the world. Fragments of history that have largely been forgotten beyond its borders. Mm-hmm. I also realised that it stood on the front line of many of the touchstone issues of the 21st century, from the climate emergency to populism. You know, mm-hmm. It was just too good a story not to tell. So, mm. so Bolivia, despite being roughly twice the size of France, uh, shares borders with Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Peru, Paraguay, mm. is right in the heart of South America. But it tends to be overshadowed by its neighbours. You know, it never really yeah. makes much of an appearance in the international media. Um, travel writers all seem to hurry through it <laughs> en route to somewhere <laughs> yeah. else. Um, yeah. You know, there hasn't been a major travelogue about it, about solely about Bolivia for, for, for many years. So I saw a gap in the market for a book that, you know, explored its fascinating history, you know, its incredible landscapes, and also looked at how Bolivia is coping with all these contemporary challenges and what it can tell all of us around the world um, about what we can expect in the future. And kind of, uh, is that what you meant by like sort of the title crossed off the map in terms of, you know, it's generally not really seen as part of that kind of... the the what you kind of described as the Gringo Trail earlier, like um, as, as, as people's main routes around uh, Latin America as, as somewhere that it is, is a destination in and of its, uh, its own right as well. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, so, so the title crossed off the map comes from an apocryphal story from the 19th century um, about a supposed diplomatic spat between uh, Queen Victoria 
and, uh, mm-hmm. and Bolivia, which resulted in the uh, expulsion of the ambassador. Um, anyway, supposedly after this, according to the story, which is known as the Black Legend um, okay. in, in South America, Queen Victoria took a map of Bolivia, uh, sorry, took a map of South America and ceremoniously uh, crossed Bolivia's name off of it. Now, you know, that's an apocryphal story. It, it's probably, it's a yeah. tall tale, but, you know, mm. it, it, it seemed to really sum up in many ways, you know, what's actually happened to Bolivia over the, you know, the subsequent yeah. 150 years or so. Um, it it, it mm. sometimes really feels as if Bolivia was crossed off the map. Mm. Fascinating. Yeah. I was going to say, um, so for those kind of, I don't know, to kind of, sum up Bolivia for people who would want to kind of visit there or something what are some of the main things that you would kind of have to see I mean I'm not asking you to tell your, your whole book or spoil your whole book <laughs> within the within the answer to one question but kind of you know what are some of the things that we're actually missing out on I mean I really could talk about this all day but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put you through that I'll keep it I'll you've keep got it two short. other destinations to get through remember and one's India it's pretty <laughs> massive absolutely <laughs> well I mean I mean one of the things I love about Bolivia really is its sheer geographical diversity you've got mountains and rainforests uh, salt flats and wetlands mm-hmm. Um, so I will say to people, you know, I, I absolutely love the Western Andean side of the country, uh, particularly the Salar de Uyuni and the neighbouring reserver Eduardo Avaroa. Um, so these are otherworldly landscapes, uh, a gleaming salt flat roughly the size of Jamaica, islands of giant oh, cacti wow. and um, these creatures called yeah. vishkashas, which are like uh, like rabbits. You have smouldering volcanoes and lakes that have been stained red and green by minerals, huge flocks of flamingos. Uh, so I love that part of it. And, and that's often the side of Bolivia that most people um, associate with the country. But also a third of the country is within the Amazon basin. And I absolutely love this, this region, particularly Park National Medidi. Um, so you can only access it by boat from a form of rubber, uh, rubber trading town called Ruanabake, uh, and it's roughly the size of Wales, uh, and it's also the most biodiverse protected area on Earth. To put that in context, um, it's home to roughly a thousand species of birds, which is almost ten percent of the world's total in this park alone. Wow, seriously! Um, and it's also home to an array of jaguars and anacondas, stingrays, spectacled bears, and these incredible creatures called bufeos, which are pink river dolphins. Um, and, uh, you know, if you, if, if you visit today, you may be lucky enough to get the chance to swim with them. They're incredibly playful, intelligent um, animals. And, uh, yeah, that's one, one of my most memorable experiences in travel is, uh, is, is uh, swimming with these dolphins uh, in the Amazon. Oh, well, I'm not surprised. That sounds amazing. Did you, did you say that, that 10% of the world's bird population is in this is in that particular region so, so yeah so roughly 10 percent of the bird species on earth can be found wow. in, the, in in this park alone and and this is only a wow. small part of the bolivian amazon as a whole um and it's got you know it's it, that's amazing it, 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 that's it, that's in the in the space size of wales like, roughly, yes uh, roughly the size of wales you know wow. it, uh, you always have to compare things to whales to to kind of give a gravitas to the to the size <laughs> wales wales is that kind of unfortunate like geographical stencil that yeah. we put on a lot of yeah. <laughs> wow so it's an amazing natural landscape is there are there sort of uh, towns and cities in bolivia or is it significantly are you going for sort of wildlife yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, an awful lot of people are drawn both by the wildlife and by the, the you know, the natural attractions. You know, on the Andean mm. side, I haven't even mentioned Leyte Tikarka, the the world's highest, of course, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, of course, one of the one of the world's highest lakes. Um, uh, and you know, you, you've you've got huge plains. You've got the Pantanal, or which Bolivia shares with um, Brazil, which is the lar- world's largest tropical wetlands, is equally rich mm-hmm. in in wildlife there. Uh, but the cities, the cities are absolutely fascinating too. I mean, a lot of Bolivia is a very high altitude place. You've got two of the high, yes. the highest cities on earth in El Alto and Potosi. They're also in incredibly dramatic Andean locations. Uh, and they have, mm-hmm. and they're very culturally rich. You know, um, uh, El Alto, which is, which neighbors, um, the de facto capital, La Paz. It's one of the fastest growing cities in Latin America. Um, mm. it's, it's incredibly, it's got an incredibly strong indigenous 
culture. It's kind of wonderful markets. It's a very vibrant, fascinating place. And then mm. not, not too far away is, uh, is Potosi, uh, which has, you know, a, a fascinating and tragic history. Uh, so the richest silver mine ever discovered is in a mountain that overlooks the, um, the, the, the city. According to legend, so much silver was taken out of this mountain during the Spanish colonial era. You could have built a solid silver railway line all the way from Bolivia to Madrid. Um, you know, it's, it, it's had a profound impact on everything from the Industrial Revolution to the Great Wall of China. Um, yeah. You know, and it's also in Potosi today, it kind of has resulted in these incredible um, architectural riches, churches and mansions um, and, uh, you know, yeah. the, the, the Royal Mint. So, you know, those, those are just two of, two of the cities that are kind of fascinating vi- to visit. And you also have uh, somewhere called Sucre, which is, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful places in, um, in Latin America. It's... Um, the, the historic center of it is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Uh, it's nicknamed the White City because everything is whitewashed. Uh, and, you know, it feels like walking around a film set. Cool. I think I have heard of that, about that. Yeah. It's um, uh, what kind of like what, what gave it its uni- Is it like really, really old? What gave it its kind of heritage site status? So, so, so the, the, the thing with Sucre, Sucre is linked to the silver mines in Potosi because Potosi is a high altitude place. It's quite inhospitable to, to live in. Um, mm. Sucre is, you know, uh, more than a thousand meters lower, has a much more temperate climate. And so lots of the, lots of the wealthy mine owners would, would move to, uh, to Sucre, mm-hmm. um, subsequently. And they, you know, so the they, wealth kind of trickle down really. And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And kind of later, you know, it's home to one of the oldest universities in South America. For a long period, it was, um, Bolivia's capital uh it's still the you know it's it's it's, it's still the uh de jure capital even though most of the uh, political action has moved to la paz so it's got a lot of heritage a lot of culture and it's also a very cosmopolitan place it's attracted um uh it's attracted kind of people from all, all around the world which kind of gives it a really nice nice vibe it's also home to um uh, the most fascinating cement works, I think, on the planet. Okay. <laughs> so okay. This, is, this, this sounds pretty strange, and it's on the outskirts of the city. And when you first look at it, it just looks like a quarry, essentially, with a huge white, yeah. dusty cliff with tractors going past and smoke uh, bellowing out of the uh, yeah. of the chimneys. But if you look cl- closely at the um, the, uh, the the cliff face, you'll notice there's there's all these patterns on it. And it's actually the world's biggest collection of dinosaur footprints. Um, you know, so paleontologists think that there was a stampede. Ah. So essentially, you know, um, you know, um, lots and lots of, you know, thousands of dinosaurs chasing across this, this vast, wow. this vast plain, which then through tectonic pressure was pushed up when the Andes was formed and, and, uh, has now been exposed, um, in this quarry. So it's got a lot of kind of really, diverse interesting things to uh, yeah. see and experience okay that is a, that's a great quarry <laughs> i don't think that we've had dinosaurs mentioned on the podcast before james i don't yeah i think that might be a, that might be a podcast first yeah yeah uh, no 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 jurassic coast we've we've talked about the jurassic coast oh yeah before. but a stampede um, of dinosaurs that's really really cool chef yeah that's that, good good fact it's definitely our first stampede <laughs> of dinosaurs for sure glad to hear it <laughs> Uh, I was going to finally kind of ask about Bolivia because, I mean, I think one of the things that's synonymous with it, for better or worse, is altitude. <laughs> and um, mm. uh, and I know, like, tapping into your inner, uh, your old sports writer self, uh, Chef, like, but it, am I right in thinking La Paz has, like, the highest football pitch in, in or international football pitch in the world or something? Or that might be Quito in Ecuador, I'm not too sure. Yeah, there's uh, Bolivia. So La Paz has a very high altitude international football stadium. Uh, I think it's 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 around three thousand six hundred meters above sea level. Yeah. And uh, as you might expect, Bolivia, that in general terms doesn't have a great record in in international football. As anyone who follows the uh, the <laughs> South American football closely but they have a formidable home record um, yeah, that, that's um, that's what i was thinking of because yeah teams find it quite quite difficult yeah to go there. It, it, and actually funny enough, i mean when the the time before last that i was there um bolivia beat argentina at home oh, and wow. uh, so 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 there was there, there was a side of lot, lots of rejoicing 
Um, an even higher football stadium, though, is in El Alto, which is the neighbouring city um, just a bit higher. And they've got a, um, a team that has been nicknamed the PSG of Bolivia because they've had a lot of money pumped into them recently. Yes. And their, yes. And their home ground is, uh, yeah, is, is above 4,000 metres um, wow. of altitude. And they're doing really well in the South American equivalent of the, uh, of the European Cup at the moment. So, um, yeah, one, one to watch out for. Yeah, I think um, I've just heard so many stories of like, yeah, players feeling sick or passing out halfway through games and stuff. Oh, but I was going to ask, like, that was my tenuous link to, to drive it towards football. But actually, I really wanted to ask kind of how you deal with the altitude when you're there. Like, have you got used to it when you've when you visited or or does it take a while? Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, it, like, it, 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 it always it always hits you and you you always you always feel it, even if you don't actually suffer from altitude sickness itself. I mean, uh the, the highest international airport is is in El Alto, and so and an awful lot of people will fly there from sea level, um, you know, and and it and it does hit you hit you hard. I mean, it kind of it. it I always advise taking it take it very very easy for the first couple of days. Um, mm-hmm. In 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 La Paz, locals have a have a saying about how to cope with the altitude, which is to um, um, uh, drink little, uh, eat little, and sleep alone. So kind of take it very, very easy. Um, yeah. But, but you know, it, it's, it, it can, you know, it obviously can have a serious, serious impact. So you want to you be aware of it. And, it. and it's kind of, it's unpredictable. You can be very fit, physically fit and, mm-hmm. you know, young and all of that. And it can, and it can still hit you. Um, they often advise um, drinking coca leaf tea or chewing coca leaves, which are legal in Bolivia, not legal outside of Bolivia. Do not take them out, oh, you know, away with you. But inside, yep. that can help to alleviate some of the symptoms of, um, of of the altitude. You know, typically the best treatment for, for altitude sickness is to, to descend, of course. Um, but yeah, no, it can de- it, it definitely hits you. And you know, just just walking around the streets, I, I always think it gives you um, like an insight into the aging process because climbing a, a small flight of <laughs> stairs, you know, feels like scaling Everest. Yeah. You know, it, it it really it really takes it takes it out of you. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, thanks so much for that intro um, to Bolivia, Shafik. And I think um, obviously listeners can hear a lot more about uh, Bolivia in your book, Crossed Off the Map. Um, uh, but we are now going to quickly discuss India. So obviously we're. Talking about India, which is huge, Shaf. So I, I doubt we're going to cover every everywhere. Are there any sort of specific regions that you want to particularly uh, highlight? Yeah, I mean, I, I always like to champion uh, Madhya Pradesh, which is a state in central India. Um, that I think it's really underappreciated by foreign okay. tourists. Um, it's home mm. to some fantastic tiger reserves, uh, particularly Karna and Bandavgarh. Um in these places, you have as good a chance of spotting these big cats in the wild as anywhere on earth. Um, mm. To give you a little flavour of that, the last time I visited Karna, before the pandemic, um, I was in a taxi outside the park, just driving along the road, and a tiger crossed the road in front of us, bringing us to a, to a halt. You know, and it just, you know, very co- confidently spent a few minutes, uh, you know, uh, trotting over. So, I mean... Just to put, you know, that, that it shows just how how easy it is to see these uh, these yeah. big cats in in the wild, um, and you know, to, to see a tiger in the wild is a is a is a mesmerising experience. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, elsewhere in Madhya Pradesh is very varied. Um, you know, there's there's got a one there's a wonderful UNESCO World Heritage site called Kajarao. Um, and this is a uh, kind of a stunning collection of temples that are covered by, uh, well eye-opening and uh, incredibly inventive erotic carvings. Uh, so there's okay, various th- okay. there's various theories about these sculptures. Um, this, some, this might be a first erotic carving. This is definitely a first, yes. <laughs> Dinosaurs and erotic carvings. I try, I try and bring yeah. a bit there of difference to, uh, to, to the point. <laughs> so there's lots of theories Sorry, about... Sorry, erotic carvings, let's go back. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's lots of theories about, about, about why these temples are covered by these... You know, frankly, frankly, eye-opening um, sculptures. <laughs> Some people say they represent uh, Shiva's wedding party. Um, mm-hmm. Others say they were linked to a tantric cult. Uh, Some people even say they were inspired by the Kama Sutra. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to suggest. Yeah. So, whatever the reason, they were a remarkable thing to uh, to see. Um, 
less erotically charged, but similarly impressive. <laughs> um, Madhya Pradesh is also home to one of the oldest religious structures in South, uh, South Asia. Um, it's a Buddhist stupa, which is like a, you know, an iconic dome temple, and it's called Sanchi, mm. and it dates back to the 3rd century BCE. Uh, it sits alone in the countryside and is a uh, tranquil, remarkable place to, to, to have a look mm. around. Amazing. That's a really, really, really good quick guide to a to good that. varied uh, travel guide within that <laughs> super succinct super uh, <laughs> super super helpful and um and you mentioned about kind of like you know uh, when you talked about kind of travel writing for the first time like how you uh, left and went to india was your first destination right when you went there what uh, what kind of what's kind of brought you back like uh, um time and time again I mean, I think it's, you know, the sheer size and diversity of India in all senses of the world means you could spend Mm. a lifetime exploring it and still only scratch the surface. You know, there's 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 some truth in the old cliche that it's more like a continent than a country. Um, And every time I go, I just discover more places that I need to visit the next time. Uh, And the other Mm. thing is the food, of course, which is sensational and uh, much more varied than the Indian food we uh, typically get in the UK. Uh, At the moment, I particularly love the cuisine of uh, uh, Kolkata, uh, Calcutta, Mm -hmm. as was, you know, which has excellent seafood, often flavoured with coconut and mustard oil. Uh, There's Mm. a strong tradition of Indian Chinese cuisine there. Uh, The street food is great. They've got something called a kati roll, which is like a paratha flatbread stuffed with goodies, um, kind of spiked with chilli and and lime juice. Um, Yeah, and plenty of sweets as well. They have a very sweet tooth in the city. So, um, yeah, it's it's fantastic to to give you an insight into, uh, into, into into the culture in India. Or, in fact, the very, very, very myriad cultures in India. Mm. Would Would you say kind of like that first visit to India, like kind of sparked your, you know, did you know you wanted to become a travel writer at that point? Or was it was it still like kind of early days, really? Yeah. So, I mean, so, so when, I, when, I, when I set off travelling, as I say, I was a sports reporter. I, I was covering football and cricket mainly for the, for the Evening Standard in, in London, which was something that I'd always, always wanted to do up to that point. But it was this trip and my time in India and then in South America that really the idea of becoming a travel writer um, kind of came, came to mind. I did my first bits of travel writing um, while, while I was over, over in the countries, you know, and I use use the guidebooks and kind of thought i wonder who writes these books that would be a great job (laughs) yeah so it it, it was you know without sounding overly dramatic it was a life-changing trip because i you know i i I left left on my travels as a sports reporter and i came back wanting to become a travel writer and then you know there were a few ups and downs um before i managed to make it happen but yeah that was that was the impetus behind it be honest you were really reading those guidebooks and, re- and thinking like who's writes who writes these i can do better <laughs> i know i can like get better stuff in there right i i, I definitely thought this will be quite it this just looks an easy glamorous job all, all, all the cliches <laughs> that people have with travel writing you know, who don't work yeah. in the industry i had all of them beforehand and uh yes. you know what one of, one of my great disappointments in life in that it hasn't been as easy and and as glamorous <laughs> all the time as, uh, as 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 i perhaps hoped as people think yeah yes. yeah i mean we know many many guidebook writers and uh yeah it, it's certainly not as glamorous as you'd think so chef i've so i've the only the only place i've done in india has been the golden triangle so that's delhi agra and jaipur so that's a massively popular sort of portion of the country are there any kind of hidden gems away from you know those cliched trips that you know you're willing to share with readers yeah, I mean, a, a couple of places spring immediately to mind. Um, you know, as long as you guys and the listeners promise to keep them to yourselves, okay? Yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, don't worry, you can trust us. Good, excellent, <laughs> yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah. I'm glad I got your We're word very for very trustworthy. That's, uh, <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners are too. Yeah. Well, so the, so the first is in Madhya Pradesh again, and it's called Orcha, um, uh, which, which is a town. The name Orcha literally translates as hidden place, and it's a, uh, a medieval complex of forts and temples 
uh, palaces, tombs and gardens along the banks of the uh, the Betwa River, kind of lapped up by the ever-encroaching forest. You know, it's, it's a tranquil mm. and atmospheric place to, uh, to while away a few days. You can literally stay in a palace there if you want. Cool. Um, it's, it's, which is not exactly unknown. It's just down the road from Casual, but it really receives far fewer visitors uh, than it should do. The other place um, I'd like to give a shout out for is even more off the beaten track, um, Arunachal Pradesh in the far northeast of India. Um, it's a small mm-hmm. Himalayan state that borders Tibet and Bhutan. Uh, it's known as the land of the Dawnlit Mountains. Um, and it's really an unspoiled wilderness. Uh, think snowy mountain passes, mm. remote Buddhist monasteries, alpine forests, and uh, literally hundreds of species of orchids. Uh, very few people make it there. When I visited for the first time about 10 years ago, I was the only foreign traveller in the state that month. Um, you know, oh. as you might expect, getting around is quite a challenge, to put it mildly, mm. um, but it's an incredibly rewarding place. And it also showcases a completely different side to India, kind of away from, you know, the, the Golden Triangle that you mentioned earlier, Lucy. It's kind of, mm. and it's also a side of India that, you know, a lot of people in India aren't familiar with and, you know, mm. Uh, don't always see it's uh, it's a magical place if our conversation with Shafiq has inspired your inner explorer you can get closer to your next adventure with an array of new decal witness books try outdoor Europe for discovering the great outdoors with over 150 activities including co-steering stargazing foraging forest bathing and trail running or how about ride our guide to cycling the world packed with over 100 adventures over six continents find both books at your local bookshop or click the link in our episode bio to browse our range Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Right, uh... I'm just going to sort of start off by, by saying, Shafik, why Antarctica? I mean, it's not—it's uh, not your usual uh, sort of place. I mean, we've talked about like kind of podcast first. This is the first time we've like zoned in on Antarctica. We did mention it in the last time you were with us, uh, but yeah, why? You know, I mean, I think quite simply, Antarctica is the greatest wilderness on Earth. You know, it's yeah. inhospitable, otherworldly, um, unfathomably beautiful. You know, there's. Hundreds of thousands of penguins huddling together, you know, looming icebergs the size of small countries, uh, you know, pods of whales, great walls of ice, you know, that look like they've been sculpted by a surrealist. You know, I I I think travelling to Antarctica is perhaps the ultimate journey available on Earth, really. You know, and modern day cruises are now very comfortable. But, you know, as you're you're sailing through the region, it's, it's kind of easy to imagine yourselves following in the footsteps of the uh, great polar explorers, people like Amundsen, yeah. Scott, Shackleton. I think it's also a really interesting place because, you know, it gives us a stark, perhaps the starkest insight into the impact of the uh, the climate emergency. You know, obviously not that we should need to travel to the white continent to be aware of that. Um, but, you know, when, when I visited, um, I went to South Georgia, which is an island just, just north of Antarctica, with a photographer that worked with David Attenborough in the 80s and 90s. And he'd shown me how one particular glacier had retreated hundreds of metres since his first visit, um, which was a, a, a powerful image, to say the least. Mm. It sounds, Shaf, like it absolutely, Antarctica met your expectations. Because I imagine people going to Antarctica... It's not a you know it's not a weekend away, is it? Um, it sounds like it just doesn't disappoint. It just sounds so epic. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I've, I've been wanting to go to Antarctica, you know, it feels like, it feels like all my life. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I went a few years ago on a three week expedition setting off from, uh, Patagonia and Argentina and sailing via the Falkland Islands, via South Georgia, and then onto the Antarctic Peninsula. Uh, and it, and it definitely, it definitely didn't disappoint. I mean, no, no matter how many times you've, you've, you've watched videos or you've seen pictures or read books about it, uh, nothing, mm. nothing really, um, you know, prepares you for, for, for visiting and certainly nothing prepares you from actually setting, setting foot on the, um, on the continent itself. You know, it's kind of a mind expanding, humbling experience. I mean, yeah, we use a, people use the term bucket list like far too much, but that really is like, you know, a kind of life goal mm-hmm. experience. As you say, like kind of going and walking in the footsteps of those great explorers and going mm. to, I guess, going to somewhere where, you know, people couldn't, most people couldn't dream of being able to go to Antarctica. And there must be something really, really kind of special about that. But then, as you say, actually, the the beauty that's kind of attached to it as well, and that, that not disappointing too. Um, what did you get up to when you when you've been in Antarctica? Um, we did like uh, you know we did we did draft out some questions and we have you know uh, not to ruin the mystique of the podcast but we do have like templates and stuff and they're usually like best things to do where to go what what to see and it's like oh, I don't think there'll be like you know a, a great taco truck in. Antarctica anywhere. <laughs> not guessing. yet. Oh, maybe there is. Not yet. Not yet. That's the challenge, listener. That's it. I mean, the, the, the cruises are actually incredibly, incredibly varied. Um, uh, with the company that I went with, um, they specialised in citizen science. So they really tried to get passengers involved in, um, in doing some scientific research. And this, this research fed back to, you know, institutions such as NASA, universities in uh, in, in, in the US and beyond. So we did um, cloud surveys. We, uh, you know, we tested water for microplastics. We did um, uh, penguin surveys. That's a particularly fun experience. I bet. Uh, and, and yes, also, let's come back to that. And also like whale, yeah, whale surveys as well, obviously, because okay. it, the Antarctic is incredibly rich in whales. So that, that kind of provided a framework around a lot of the other activities, which, you know, you, you, you could, you know, could easily just spend hours and hours watching a giant uh, iceberg drift by or you know and, and until your fingers go numb at least you can just wander you know wander around you know through a you know a, a giant penguin colony or get caught in a blizzard or you know cru- cruise around on a yeah. zodiac boat i also did something called a polar plunge which they like to save um for the end of the trips which um uh-huh. as you might expect is a is a is a quick dip in the uh-huh. uh, in the water itself uh, we did it in a place called Deception Island, which is, um, if you imagine the caldera, the flooded caldera of a volcano that you can sail mm-hmm. into. I think it's one of the only uh, calderas that you can actually sail into. So the water there is supposedly slightly slightly warmer than, than you would get elsewhere. It certainly didn't feel like that, and it was, it was <laughs> at ze- I zero at best. So, uh, yeah, you, 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 you have to uh, yeah, yeah, you, you, you have a bit of a, a, bit of a swim. A plunge rather than a swim, really, and then and then you get out health. and try and desperately warm up as quickly as you can, which um, in my case took the best part of half a day. How? Oh God, I'm Ooh. not surprised. How long were you in the water for? You know, it felt like a lifetime, but it probably was only about <laughs> thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that cold then. <laughs> well, did you actually like plunge in as well? Did you dive in, or did you gently? I mean, it's possibly no, worse to like gently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah so, so my, my my top tip for this is some people kind of delicately gingerly walked in kind of you know got them got them wet got themselves wet in stages my approach was exactly the opposite took the clothes off ran yeah. as quickly as i could towards the water and then dived under you have you have to get your head wet really to for it to be considered a proper polar plunge so I just did it as quickly as possible, and then I started swimming as quickly as and as vigorously as I possibly could to try and, uh, you know, keep my heart from stopping and to keep me uh, to keep me moving about. Yeah, that's wise. I it mean, a better approach. Yeah, I, I think the opposite one of just letting yourself. No, no, I couldn't do that. No. I, w- I would uh, step back. You don't want to give yourself any chance of backing out of that, I guess, do you? No, absolutely not. You you want instinct to take over, instinct and self preservation <laughs> to take over. <laughs> yeah. And then, Shaf, the 
penguin survey. I think listeners probably are like, <laughs> tell us more about the penguins. What does that involve? You know, it, it's 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 quite a simple activity in theory. You know, you you, you visit some of um, some of these huge huge penguin colonies. One one of the colonies I think was four hundred thousand strong. So yeah, I mean wow. these are, these are, these are, these are huge places. But you know, on on the cruises, no crew two cruises are the same. You 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 you're always following different different routes. And because it's such a difficult and expensive place to carry out research, a lot of the places that you're visiting, you know, don't necessarily get a lot of scientific researchers. So it's it's very useful from the for the scientific community if you can do as much of you know much research as as possible to help out a bit. And obviously, doing um, mm. uh, penguin surveys is one of them. So you know, it's you're you're kind of given a given a, a set area of, of of land, and you try and try and try and count them and you're also kind of noting down what types of penguins are there and this you know kind mm. of you know because of the, the of climate change certain penguins that traditionally liked very cold conditions are you know having to move deeper deeper south into mm. antarctica um you know and and and, and, and other other penguins are moving moving north so it's you know all of the, all of this data is um uh, is is useful to get the thing is, penguins are inherently comic and entertaining and curious yeah. creatures. So it often yeah. feels like, you know, you're supposed to keep, you know, understandable distance from, from them. You know, you don't want to in, 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 interact with them. Passengers are generally good at following this. The penguins are not not at all. And so they'll often wander up to you. <laughs> you know, I've had them wandering through my legs before. And they kind of, you know, they have a quizzical look on their faces when, when, when they look at you, which can be quite disconcerting. So, um, yeah, it, it's not entirely clear who's studying who. Do they, do they, I mean, do they ever attack or anything? Do they ever get aggressive or...? They, they you know, they... they, they, they by all accounts, uh, they they can have a fearsome um, kind of peck <laughs> on you. Yeah, so yeah. I, I I didn't experience yeah. this personally, and I th- I think um, if you went a little bit later in the, the the year when they have young around, when I went, there were just mm, eggs. Mm. They can be um, they can be um, yes. a, a bit more aggressive, understandably. So one thing I did see in um, in the Falklands actually so just you know f- further north of Antarctica was something called a catastrophic molt which I'd never come across before but that's you know it's when is when the young are really are changing their you know uh, ah. kind of ch- lose, losing losing their feathers essentially and kind of you know it, it happens at you know particular times of the year but they look like penguins from a horror film I mean it's kind of quite a <laughs> it's quite a scary scary sight but um, but you know it, it, these are just some of the kind of the unexpected things <laughs> that you'll yeah. that you'll experience if you um, you know if you're lucky enough to visit Antarctica. It's a really good band name, Catastrophic Malt. Uh, <laughs> 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 I have to use that one. Uh, but yeah, I can't believe Shafiq, you 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 can say that you've seen penguins molting and you swam in Antarctica. I mean, polar plunge. Polar plunge. Mm. I still can't. I'm still shuddering a little bit of the thought mm. of that. Um, you know, I'm someone who finds it hard to swim in the sea in Cornwall never mind <laughs> never mind Antarctica so yeah I really really take my hat off to you and um and and like I mean it's obviously tricky but I know access to Antarctica has, has kind of slightly opened up I mean I think it's still quite quite difficult to go but how regular are the kind of cruises are, and and how sustainable are they as well I guess um uh, there's a big, a big question around that, really. Yeah, I mean, to, to take the sustainability question first, you know, a lot, an awful lot of people will say, from an environmental point of view, you shouldn't be visiting Antarctica at all. And mm-hmm. you know, in in many respects, that's hard to, you know, hard to argue with. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's kind of programs like the Citizen Science Program in which I took part help to, you know, hopefully help to kind of alleviate that to some extent. And also the company that I went with was 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 very keen that, that passengers should leave as what they call polar ambassadors. Now, I know this sounds like quite a cheesy line that someone might say, but it's really mm-hmm. that, you know, there's, 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 no, there's no resident population on Antarctica. It needs everyone, everyone else in the world to, to stand up for it. And I kind of think yeah. if you're, you know, if you, like myself, if you've been lucky enough to, to visit – you know, you need to be doing all that you can to, uh, you know, yeah. hold our political leaders, and our business leaders and ourselves to account 
um, and to kind of to do what we can to protect it and do what we can to protect the, the world more generally and kind of you know face up and 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 deal with the climate emergency so that's that's the you know from a sustainability point of view mm. for purely from a just a visiting point of view yeah i mean during the pandemic like like traveling lots of places antarctica was you know the antarctic cruises stopped they are running again now um roughly speaking the cruising season runs from november to march the overwhelming majority of the cruises leave from leave from southern tip of south america most of them from the city of ushuaia which is one of the mm. one of the most southern cities in the world in in um argentina um and and this is roughly the summer in the southern southern hemisphere so it's um so it's a it, it's it's a, it's a little bit warmer, and you know so the, the, it's a bal- balmy zero degrees or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, you, well, you know, I mean, you know, we we we've seen actually recently there've been there've been kind of record record temp- record high temperatures in the uh, in Antarctica. Yeah, of course. And it, 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 it's sometimes you know it, it, it sometimes it's not always as cold as as, as you might ex- might expect. Kind of even even during more more normal and in inverted commas commas periods. But you should definitely prepare for the cold because it's you know the, the, the cold in Antarctica yeah. re- really isn't any, like anything else that you've um, you've you've coped with. Um, is, but, is, is it the coldest place you've felt on Earth? I'm guessing, or it must be right. Uh, it's you know it probably it, it it's the coldest place I've been, I've been on Earth, but I've been well dressed for it. Um, yes. So yes. you know I had you know. The, the the wooden boots and the you know the the, the multiple layers and, and all of that kind of stuff, you know I I have felt colder in various places, including included in Bolivia actually overnight on the salt flats when um, uh, essentially I was staying in a shack overnight and the temperature dropped to minus twenty one degrees and kind of the inside of the very flimsy windows froze and. Uh, yeah, even even wrapped in an emergency blanket, I've never felt as cold as cold as that before. Um, but uh, nevertheless, Antarctica is still is still is still extremely <laughs> extremely bitterly cold. Yes, but 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 completely fine for a, for a nice little plunge. Um, all <laughs> <laughs> well, that that was brilliant. I mean, it's amazing. Like, I mean, three amazing places, Shafik. Uh, couldn't be more different as well in in some ways. Um, you've really given us some treats there in terms of things to take away from. I mean, three places which, um, uh, you know, I think you've shown a different side to as well. I I mean, I don't think many people would even consider going to Antarctica, but like, I love the fact that you've talked about different sides of India too. So thank you so much for that. As we've mentioned already, uh, you can get Shafik's book, uh, Crossed Off the Map. It's available in all good retailers, I'm guessing. In, in, In all good retailers and some bad ones as well. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, all all of them. It must, <laughs> if not complain. Um, uh, um, but yeah, and so um, and yeah, uh, thank you once again, Shafik. Best of luck with the book. Uh, can't wait to read it myself. And uh, yeah, thanks once again for joining us on where to go. And hopefully, we'll have you back once again at some point soon. Oh, I'm sure we will. I, ca- I can't wait. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you guys again. Uh, thanks for having me on. Lovely to see you, Shafik. Thanks so much, Shafik. Thank you. Huge thanks to Shafik. Um, wow, uh, Lucy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the, the word. Is it's just wow. <laughs> Are you going to take a polar plunge? I want to know that. I will be honest. That bit didn't massively <laughs> appeal to me. The penguin survey, I think, is more my vibe, James. Yeah, I could see you doing a penguin survey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the polar plunge. In, in like as many about... la- layers as possible. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, I. I mean, he said it took thirty. It was thirty seconds in the water, and he took about half a day to warm up. And I think there's. I'm sure. Um, there's a da- there's a Scandinavian phrase about um, there's not bad weather there's just bad clothing and I just or there's not cold weather and I'm not sure that this applies I just think surely you just need to wear every item of clothing you can find everything you own I can't begin to imagine how cold that must be yeah yeah that kind of like episode of friends where he dresses up in like every (laughs) every bit of clothing that Chandler owns yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly exactly what you need so yeah (laughs) I don't think I could do a polar plunge either so congrats to you Shafik on that and your amazing book um so yeah you can find uh as we mentioned, you can find Crossed Off the Map in uh, all good bookshops now. And if you'd like to uh, find out what Shafik is up to, you can follow him on Twitter 
at Shafik Meji. So that's S-H-A-F-I-K-M-E-G-H-J-I. Um, uh, and yeah, he's he's got a lot to say. You can find out all about his adventures and where he's going next. Yes, and so in our next episode, we'll be going to Jamaica with food writer Rias Phillips. Yes, yeah. So uh, getting back on our foodie train, uh, we've had a, <laughs> two episodes off the food, so I think it's about time we got <laughs> we got hungry again. Uh, but Riaz <laughs> is uh, is an expert on sort of Caribbean food and. We'll be kind of taking us around a culinary journey of the Caribbean. So very, very excited about that. Uh, But yeah, um, we shall see you then. That episode should be out in a fortnight. Um, But yeah, it's bye from me. And bye from me. And thanks very much, listener. We shall see you very soon. Where to Go was produced by the team at DK Witness and the wonderful Julia Baker. It was presented by James Atkinson and Lucy Richards and mastered by Johnny Coddington at Bottle Bucket Recording. For more information about DK Eyewitness, follow us on social media at DK Eyewitness or visit dk.com forward slash eyewitness. And don't forget to please like, rate, review and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. Your support means so much to us. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.